0: guys! Welcome to the Paddler's Playbook.
1: Welcome,
2: ladies and gentlemen, to Podcast Land.
1: Thermal convection, man.
2: These dudes almost killed me.
1: You know, redfish are really dumb.
2: How do you take your marsh dump?
1: This fool used all my toilet paper.
2: Bro Brovazi.
1: Well, now that Drew's done dragging this on,
2: TPP fifteen. You gonna get a dozen shrimp?
1: Hey, you throwing that cast net again this weekend? Oh, good lord! I almost died. I,
2: I do not want to paddle that far.
1: Once again. He almost died.
2: <laughs> I'm not waking up at the butt crack of dawn.
1: I'll see you at the launch around noon. I love wake baits. Haven't you ever heard them ch-, ch chatter
2: Let me double back here for a second.
1: And now, a word from Salt Side Jess.
0: So sit back, relax, and enjoy the paddle. Check out our sponsors. <laughs> no, like check out our sponsors. Oh. Check out our sponsors.
2: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Podcast Land. I'm your host, Drew Turner. I'm here with my co-host, Chris Lewis. This is another edition of the Paddler's Playbook coming to you from the Bait Butler Studio. Chris, it's 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 nice to be back in the, the Bait Butler Studio. Not the mobile studio. We're not in the mobile studio today. We're back in... In our Butler home studio. studios. In our home studios. I'm in my comfy chair. I, I I don't have pants on. I got my hoodie on. I'm feeling good. I, I like these type of episodes, man. I like them.
1: You know, it. I think it's just because you don't have to wear a hat to hide that head of yours.
2: It's not as bright. Like, there's not much of a glare <laughs> with the lights. That man, are that are in thing my, looks like in it my was freshly either. waxed, brother. I shave it every single morning. I take a shower every morning. I shave my face. I shave under my beard, get my neck hair gone, and then shave my head every single morning. And I have, I didn't even know that they That's had maintenance. this. maintenance. Yeah, I didn't even know that I needed this. They have caffeine-infused shaving cream. <laughs> so I get some caffeine from my shaving cream, and I didn't even know I needed it until I had it.
1: Interesting, man. Interesting so um you know we've had we've had a really eventful 2021 so far and i don't mean that by like we've been running around all over the place doing stuff and getting things done but we've been the paddler's playbook alone has been doing a lot man um you know we've we've been talking to a lot of uh perspective um guests for the show or i i've got to say drew you've been talking to a lot of prospective guests for the show yes i have i like the lineups that that we've got um killer lineups guys good stuff um i never even thought about having you know a, a line expert um you know to do a show for the paddler's playbook but we have so many anglers that are are struggling with um, outfitting their gear the proper way, and what kind of line do they use? You know, and honestly, I think it's a lot of times trial by fire. You know, buy it, try it, hate it, burn it. <laughs> um, and and what a way to just cut that curve and save some cash by by bringing this type of content to our listeners, dude. We had an attaboy today. From someone for that same exact reason they said we're cutting out a lot of the bullshit and just dropping gold nuggets for these folks and I love that about what we're able to do and this next episode that we're gonna record th- that that these guys are about to listen to is no different
2: lots there's there's lots of nuggets in here, lots of nugget lots of notches lots no- of uh, <laughs> tips there there's there's a little something for everybody. We rant a little bit. I I go on one of my normal uh rants about taking pictures, but it's not what you guys think. I know you guys think that you know, but you do not know. It's it's something else that really bothers me. But we cover a lot of stuff in this episode, man. It, it it's it's a great episode where you're going to learn a lot and I think that's something when setting up these episodes that I've made a point to do, I want to get people on that I can learn from, that you can learn from, that the novice can learn from, that the experiment, experiment, that the experienced fisherman can learn from. And I think this episode with Scott Knoll, who's about to join us, um, who's on the Bite Me podcast, he's been a kayak guide. Um, I asked him, I said, when did you start guiding kayaks. He said, I think it was 2001, 2002. I was in high school. So he has been guiding since I've been in high school. So there's just a wealth of knowledge from kayaks. I was birthing
1: my second baby. uh,
2: Like... (laughs) Birthing like you were helping with were you a midwife? Yeah. What were <laughs> what, what were you doing there?
1: We was we was birthing. What was
2: your part what was your part in the process and not the beginning of the process? Bush! The of the process? Bush! <laughs> 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 no, yeah, you
1: don't <laughs> Yeah, the beginning of the process you don't get to know about. But hey, Um, you know what never what what's great about this this episode is that and some of these guys if they listen to The bite me podcast they may have heard these stories, you know some of the stories that he tells but it doesn't matter Because they never get old and they never Get and they're never bad stories, man um, you know, and I I, there's a couple of these stories that I coax out of them I'm like, okay, come on bring it to us because the paddler's playbook Although it's, you know, a podcast, it's not the same podcast and you might not have the same people listening, bring that story to our listeners and guys, it's, they're great stories, man. This is a guy, when you think about old salt, this, this is the definition of old salt. Okay. This is somebody who's, who's been in the salt for so long. He probably just, you know, wakes up in the morning and he's like, here I am, I'm old salty.
2: Experience salt. You gotta be politically correct. Uh, He's an experience
1: salt. You know what's funny? Okay, I gotta I gotta bring this up. Um, And I meant to bring it up with Scott on on the the online. So Scott, if you're listening to this, um, a while back it was like I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. um, I see this post and it's like basically paying homage to all the OGs of kayaking. Okay. And it's from a guy that I know is a kayak fisherman, and he's been in the world of kayak fishing for a long time. In fact, he wrote a book about kayak fishing, and it did very, very well. But he calls all these guys the OGs of kayak fishing. And I'm like, they are the original gangsters, yo. And he's like, no, Chris, they're the old guys of of kayak (laughs) fishing not the original gangsters i'm like well hold up dude you're you and i are the same exact age i don't want to be an old guy yet (laughs) but here i am i guess i'm 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 an old guy of kayak fishing um not one of the ogs though definitely not one of the ogs because these he was bundling uh scott knoll jim Salmons. um which you just recently met Jim at, in I was Louisiana. gonna say
2: yeah I saw him in Louisiana Na- name you, another one let's see if I've had any interaction with the other one real quick oh
1: uh well Dean was on the on the list um but the guy that was was uh that made this post was Corey Corey ruthless I don't know if you know who who that is or not he, he I can't remember the name of the book that he wrote but I, I think it's still available and I think it's at tkf as well um. Damn it! If I can't remember the name of it now, do
2: Pretty you anyway. think that we'll we'll ever get to the point where we're considered like OGs of the kayak fishing podcast world? You think um, we're going to do it that long?
1: As far as far as the the podcast world, um, I think personally, we we hit it right at the right time, man. Uh, where we're we can continue to grow with um, the the sport of podcasting and the sport of kayaking because i tell you what podcasting's become more of a sport <laughs> than, than a media outlet um uh it's it's crazy man the the kind of things that that are taking place and growing from this uh this thing so uh, i'm enjoying it um it's it's good that um we're in a comfortable place now it's been a year it's been a year and and we're in a comfortable place where we can kind of let this thing continue to grow organically
2: yeah it, it's been great i mean this episode is 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 gonna help us grow i think it helped me grow as an angler we covered all kinds of stuff in this episode we got tips for you know increasing your ability to catch fish when side casting we talked about some of our pet peeves on the water. We talked about do's and don'ts when hiring a guide. I mean, Chris, what else? What else did we get to in this one?
1: Well, I tell you what. I think that the do's and don'ts about hiring a guide and some of the the information that we go over with hiring a guide is going to help a lot of our listeners. Once, one because I be, I do believe that um, kayak fishermen are sometimes apprehensive whenever it comes to hiring a guide um because they do see a lot of the the guided trips where it's just a meat hall right and and we're we fall into a niche where we're learners and, and especially
2: in, people who listen to this show like, yeah we I, I like to think that they tune in because they want to learn they want to laugh hopefully because we're both nuts but well, they, I'm they just want a to dumbass. Yeah, but, but mostly I think that the, the bro staff and our listeners, they tune in because they want to learn. And hiring a guide is a great way to learn.
1: Hiring the right guide. And I continue to it, say that. I don't know how. I think I said it a half a dozen times. Hiring the right guide is a great way to learn.
2: So we, we talk about hiring the right guide, uh, pet peeves. We talk about all kinds of stuff. We get some great... Uh, stories from scott about his time as a guide um, some of the worst clients that he's ever had we hope you guys enjoy this Uh, we hope you learn something from this but before we get to this episode with scott and all jessica what's going on with the cat saltwater tournament what's going on with ack what's going on with real sportswear and i hear that ugly stick has some brand new tools out there. What's
0: going on with those tools? Hey bro staff, today I thought I'd bring you all the latest and greatest from our sponsors. And I'm gonna go ahead and start with Real Sportswear for the simple fact that their new Conroe Henleys really caught my eye. These three button fishing shirts really are like no other Henley on the market. UPF 50 plus sun protection, quick drying, odor resistant, and lightweight, just to mention a few. Guys, they really are changing the game and I encourage you to hop on their website at realsportswear.com and check out their stuff if you haven't yet. I'm a fan and I know you will be too. Don't forget to enter your bro staff code, TPP15, at checkout. Next on my internet strolling list has got to be the gear over at ugly stick. I don't know about you, but my first fishing pole as a kid was an ugly stick, and I know it was for a lot of us, and that's the idea I had of the company. So imagine the surprise I received when I got a look at all of their awesome tools and gear that they have to offer. Everything from utility knives to fish skinners. Everything made with the highest quality and durability in mind. Check out purefishing.com and pick up some of these amazing must-have tools for your tackle box today. That's purefishing.com and click on the Ugly Stick link to browse their selection. Speaking of quality and craftsmanship, Turner Rod Company is turning out stunning custom rods built in Texas by a Lifetime Anglers. Prized for durability and attention to detail, these rods are built to your specific taste. As we grow in our fishing skill, we get a sense of what we like and need in a rod, and that never seems to come stop off the shelf. Now is the time to get the custom rod that you want and don't settle for anything less. So go to their Facebook page at Turner Rod Company and start your design today. Once you get those beautiful custom rods, it's time to do some fishing. But not just any fishing, tournament fishing. Join the guys May 1st for event one of the Cat Saltwater Series held at San Luis Pass County Park. For more information on this redfish tournament, visit ACKcats.com. Grab a teammate or fish solo. Either way, you will not want to miss this one. There will be food provided by the chopping block, along with so much more, at the first event of the year for the Cats Saltwater Series. Again, visit ACKcats.com for more info.
1: Hey, Jess, thanks a lot for bringing us in here. We can't wait for Cats. Cats is coming up May 1st, guys. May 1st, 2021. Man, we're going to tear it up. Now, here we are. It is a Wednesday night in Clear Lake, and the weather's been beautiful. And now we've got to sit inside and talk some fishing, guys. Not a bad thing to do, right?
2: Chris, this is kind of nice, because the last two episodes... We've been doing it live. We've had to set everything. Yeah, up. you can wear
1: whatever you want. You don't have to worry yeah. about a hat on side that on top of that I bald don't, head of yours.
2: <laughs> I may or may not have pants on right now while That's we're recording this. Not we um, don't need to know that. But it's nice it's nice to get I feel like this is more of our element as much as I enjoy the live shows. I think this more Just me, you, and a guest is more of our element compared to the live. So I feel like I'm back at home because I'm literally back. Well, you better get used. I still feel like I'm back at home.
1: You better get used to the live stuff because we have committed ourselves to a whole lot of them this year.
2: I like them. I like them a lot. But I I like I like this too. I can I can like both.
1: Well, tonight, you know, we have a, a guest who's no stranger to podcasts um this guy he's he's a a native of the texas coast he probably has mapped every inch of every coastline from sabine all the way down to i'm gonna say brownsville i don't know man I, i don't this dude knows it all man and we're gonna get to pick his brain and we're gonna pick it dry ladies and gentlemen please welcome from the bite me podcast captain scott knoll
3: there's no applause.
1: Oh yeah! yeah!
4: yeah!
3: <laughs> there you go,
1: man. We can insert a Thank- little fake stuff in there for you. There right? you go. There you go. Thanks for joining us, Captain
2: Scott. For for most of our listeners, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier. You've been in the game a long time, and you've been guiding since I was in high school. So you you've been around the game a long time there's going to be a wealth of knowledge shared I'm sure in this episode but I want to know the same thing that I ask you know every every person that comes on here tell us about you know some fishing memories that really stand out maybe your earliest fishing memory and then you know Chris always makes fun of me but your oh, most yeah, memorable
1: I want a like, memorable memory I want to say something right quick. Did you think about how to reword that? Because you've been saying the no. same for a year and a half.
2: No, I'm not. I'm not changing it. I'm not going to change it just because I know that you want me Scott, not to Scott, tell us say about it. your
1: most memorable memory.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the earliest I can remember fishing was on uh, my uncle's place out near uh, Gonzales. Freshwater, little creek running through it. And my dad left me alone while he went and did some ranch work or whatever he was doing. And I just sat out there on the little creek, caught perch, caught it all on my own. That was, that's my first real memory of catching a fish.
2: What were you using for bait? Was it a worm? Was it a lure? What were you using?
1: Grasshoppers. Grasshoppers.
3: Yep. We always had, me and my cousins were out there catching grasshoppers. Throw them on a little hook and let's go. Uh, But as far as the most memorable man there's so many um what about
1: what about your your first tarpon what was that like
3: yeah uh you're known
1: for tarpon on along the Texas coast so
3: yeah my first tarpon was uh in uh South Florida in the Everglades on a tarpon 120 kayak uh I was down there hanging out uh me and my wife were down there Camille and we paddled all around Chucklesky and Everglades City and all that. And uh, we were, we'd we been trying to catch a tarpon. <laughs> we were catching some snook, but we weren't catching the tarpon. The tarpon were rolling all around us. And uh, the last morning we were there, she decided she didn't really want to go out. So I paddled out by myself, and I was just kind of drifting along there. And uh, we were throwing white bass assassins. Uh, Charles is a guide down there, and he does all the guiding out of Chukalusky where he's got like four I think he puts six tarpon 120s on the front end of the Carolina skiff and runs you off into the middle of the Everglades and drops you off and uh, but this time I was just paddling out of town just because you know it was the last morning and uh, drifting down this river that goes right through Everglades city I was probably a quarter half a mile out of town and they started rolling around me again and one of them actually ate my white bass assassin and I actually got the hook set I'd, hooked, I'd I'd gotten probably four or five eats that week, but uh, that one, I finally got the hook set. Went on a little sleigh ride, went through the trees, and uh, it jumped over the kayak and landed on the other side. That was a little uh, hairy moment, but then uh, managed to get it in, and now I'm out there just by myself going, well, this was cool, but <laughs> <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> Nobody knows, <laughs> but it, it, it's pretty special
1: so you 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 went back and you're like camille you'll never guess what happened and she's just (laughs) like whatever dude or was she really stoked for you high five!
3: she was pretty excited excited about it and she caught her first one the day before i believe it was on uh off chuck's boat though Uh, so so she
1: she snagged her first tarpon before you snagged your first tarpon
3: yep
2: probably that's that really why is. she decided that's why she decided to sleep in it's, it's okay I got, I got my tarpon i'm <laughs> sleeping in you can go out there and fish if you want one of the funniest parts was
3: when we were out there on the river together uh all these tarpon are rolling on the points you know wherever the river bends and uh, so i'm on one point on one side of it she's on the other we're probably 40 50 yards apart and it's just a slow moving tidal river and uh I look over there and she's got tarpon rolling all around her boat. I mean, just right next to it. And she's just sitting, she's sitting back and she's watching both sides of her kayak. So I, finally, I paddled over there. I said, Do you realize those are tarpon, right? They're rolling around you. She says, Oh, yeah, I know. I said, well, You're not casting. She says, I ain't casting anything that's bigger than me. <laughs> the, the tarpon that were rolling around her were solid six footers. I mean, these were some monsters. Uh, one I ended up catching was about maybe three and a half, four foot.
2: You were throwing the white bass assassins at them. Yep. Now that now that you've caught a few tarpon, if you could just pick one lure to throw at a rolling tarpon, what would that one lure be?
3: Uh, the DoA Bait Buster. Uh, I use it all the time. Uh, this past summer, uh, we had one day on the jetties. I think we got seven or eight eats just throwing that. It's uh, the clear with a holographic. Uh, sparkles to it yeah, that's chris is buddies. over
2: there writing down notes chris is uh,
1: writing notes <laughs> right now no no you know what um so i know doa baits rather well um i i really enjoy talking to mike and ed whenever we're at the houston fishing show it's probably one of my favorite boots to go to my wife also sits there and talks to them forever and forever and forever because she absolutely loves doa now i don't remember which one is the bait buster so um I'm pulling that up because I want bait her. buster
3: looks like a little looks like a mullet. It's probably four inches long or so, four maybe five. Uh, Mark would kill me if, if Mark ah uh, okay.
1: So this is a pre-rigged bait, so it's already got. It looks like they're all pre-rigged.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's got a jig head inside yeah, of it, inside. And of it. there's okay. different size ones. Uh, there's a deep runner, or a medium runner. Uh, I'll throw both the medium and the deep. I don't like the shallow one so much. It's got a J hook on it. Yep, it's got a really good solid. Uh, jig hook and yeah, there's a little lead head inside there
2: i'm nice. gonna have to put one in my box just well just guess what it's got two just tails
1: drew <laughs> i'm t-
2: look I t- i'm telling you the double tail you
1: know i, I tell you what double those are, tail, man. Tail,
3: i was not sold on this bait uh that double tail just looks like it doesn't do anything and Puts off some good vibration though I bet. you put it in the water and it really moves it it has mm-hmm. a lot more movement than you think um it's just a cast and reel uh there's don't jig it don't try to work it don't try to make it do anything special just bring it at a steady pace right
2: back through them that's my kind of bait right there just cast and reel cast and reel double tails and spoons there you go double tails and spoons
1: drew right before you asked that question about which bait he was going to use i was going to make a comment about fishing with your significant other you know how cool is it that, um, you know, honestly, this, these three guys right here, you know, myself, you, and, and Captain Scott Noel, um, we all have a really great relationship with our significant other when we can fish with them on a regular basis. But not only that, but how great is it that this dude and Camille went out there and all on their own figured out how they were going to catch these tarp and what they were going to do? And they did it for. You know, multiple days, not just you know, going out there and try it once. Um, I think that's you know what. I hate to get all sentimental and stuff, man, but <laughs> it's what really makes a long-lasting relationship is being able to share those kinds of moments with uh, with someone you're you're actually interested in hanging out with.
4: Yeah,
3: we're coming up on thirty-four years, so yeah, we kind of get along. Oh,
1: did you marry her when you were twelve? <laughs>
2: Now, you talked about yeah, you guys were in Tarpon 140s for this. What was your first kayak and what steered you towards kayak fishing?
3: I had a ride, the old original ride.
2: With a
1: big, uh, big tennis ball hole in the middle of your legs? Yep. Yep, that, that one. And uh, all we had back then was, you know, we had
3: ocean kayaks and then we had uh, the Tarpon 160 with the hatches on the front and the back and a ride. I knew I wanted the ride because I wanted to be able to stand up and uh, you know drift across the flats and stand up sightcast. Uh, I'd gone over to the old canoe sport, and uh, they had basically run me off a couple of times with their pricing, and they insisted that you had to have a, a kayak rack and all this other expensive stuff that I was a young cop and I couldn't afford that with you know little kids at home. And, uh, like,
1: like you couldn't buy from them unless you had a rack on your vehicle
3: pretty much. Yeah. That's kind of the way they were. And, uh, they wanted, no wonder they went out of business. Yeah. They got bought, but yeah, but yeah, they, uh, they wanted you to have everything. Yeah. Great guys. I mean, they really knew what they were doing, but, uh, then fishing tackle unlimited came along and old Ruben Garza, uh, was getting into kayak fishing and he was, the assistant manager i believe at the time maybe the manager anyway he brought kayaks into fishing tackle unlimited and uh, one of the first shipments he got was uh, some blims and so i got a blim ride <laughs> and i asked him i said man what do i have to do, do i had to put this because you know none of us knew it was really new to everybody and so do you have the racks do i need the rack what do i need and he goes let's just put it in the back into your truck it'll be fine i carried kayaks in the back of my truck all the way to florida and back 15 times with uh, me and mm-hmm. dean and reuben and fishing the uh, old uh, what was it the extreme kayak fishing tour and uh, we were always over there so it doesn't hurt them you know it doesn't hurt them not to have a rack but that probably kept me out of a kayak for probably two to three years, honestly.
1: Well, the original ride is, is uh, I think it's marketed as a 12, but it's almost like 13 foot, right?
3: Um, yeah, I think it was 12 and a half. I, right. so, not, I can't remember.
1: I, I think those, you know, that size of a kayak in a truck bed's fine. But once you start yeah. getting into these big mamma that are 16 foot long, oh my gosh, man, you got to. <laughs> have something to support the back end. I tried to do it once with my Tarpon 160, and like I'm looking back there, and the boat's doing the seesaw thing.
3: (laughs) Well, we got the the tailgate or the extender, bed extender deals, and uh, we started using those in the the hitch and the little goal post. And with that, I carried that Tarpon 160 all over the place. Uh, That was our tournament boat. Uh, when Dean and I fished a lot of the tournaments in Florida, we'd bring the 160 because we needed to cover some water.
1: Hold up, wait. All these times I'm asking people to go fish these tournaments with me in Florida, I'm asking the wrong people. I should have <laughs> been asking Scott.
2: You I keep been asking been all Scott you young and Dean, bucks.
1: Man. Scott, and go and ahead, Lewis. Drew. You were about you to ask a question.
2: No, I was just going to say I had one of those original 160s, the double hatch. Um, it had the canoe Fastest sport some gun ever, sticker man. still on there. But you were you, you were talking about it sticking out of the back of your truck. At that time I was driving a um Chevy, Colorado, and that thing had like a three foot bed. It had the smallest little bed, and I had a sixteen foot kayak sticking out the back, and we uh we welded a uh, bed extender and the bed extender was like six foot long but that thing still had i mean there was a good 10 foot of that kayak sticking out of the back of that little colorado that i had it was it was it was terrible I loved that thing because it was fast. I mean it was oh, yeah. fast, fast. But I felt I almost felt like I would flip just to reach around and get something out of the back to get something out of my crate behind me. So I had I had to keep everything right in front of me on the ground. But man, you could cover some water in that old tarpon one sixty. And
3: they were a lot lighter. Yeah, you know, what I'm seeing these days is these heavy, heavy kayaks.
1: I asked this question a while back, and I can't remember what podcast it was on. But since I've got you on here, maybe I'll ask you: the more stable the platform, the better. That's what people think, and that's what people are saying, and that's pe- what people want. So now we've got all these kayaks that are like three foot wide, right? And we've lost some of the sleek, you know, uh, kayaks like the Scupper Pro and. Um, the tarpons have gone away i think they've got one one style of tarpon left um so do you think that we'll ever come back to that nope we no never huh i don't think so every everybody's gonna want these big son of a guns huh well every time big they, and
2: motorized well
3: big and motorized and the pedals and all that stuff but the the problem is when you go out on on the uh, demo days and you know, i was a kayak sales rep for wilderness for a while. And my wife still, you know, she works for Jackson. The first question people will ask you when they walk up to you at those things is how stable is that? Yeah. And that's, that's the biggest concern any of them have back when I was getting into it. Our biggest concern was how fast could we paddle that thing? Uh, we didn't have pedals. We didn't have motors. Uh, how easy was it to, pad- you know, to actually paddle it? Uh, it was more pure back then, I guess.
1: Well, um, you know what, what people nowadays they hear others talk about kayaking and not necessarily from our show, but like, let's see, let's say they were just talking to Joe from down the street and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, you're thinking about kayaking? I did that once and it was horrible. I couldn't stand right, you know, I couldn't stay right upright. I was falling over. I couldn't, you know, I hated kayaking. So I think that's the question that they ask a lot is, or why they ask that question a lot is because somebody told them it was horrible because. They couldn't maintain their stability in the kayak. I've seen We're, people
3: flip some big
1: boats.
4: Yeah.
3: yeah,
1: well,
2: and a lot of time too, people are people try kayaking for the first time on vacation in Florida or on a cruise, and, a and cheap they're rental on, kayak is they're on ten yeah. foot ocean. What are they, Tedras or, or or something like that? They're on those little bitty ocean kayaks. Um, it's not a good experience. It's not a good pal experience they're they're not stable. Oh they put at them in all.
1: those big monster Malibu twos. <laughs> Yeah,
2: or, or, or like that and they're, they're paddling barges and they just kind of overcompensate sometimes. They want the most big stable platform that they can whenever they think that they want to start kayak fishing when really you need to find the skinniest kayak that you're comfortable paddling in and that will do the things that you want it to do. Because even with pedals, it's going to be more efficient. Like a, a Revo is going to be way more efficient than a PA and you know, uh, uh, outback and, and things like that. So it's just finding that good balance between the two and people get a bad taste in their mouth whenever they try those uh, plastic boats that have been sitting out there in the sun and in, in, in Mexico for five, six, seven, eight, nine years. So the
3: thing that I saw you know, that, that we always looked at was how much glide did you have? You know, uh, like once you, you got take, it going, take three strokes and then just glide with yeah. it. And let's see how far it goes. Yeah, you know, take three or four good strokes and then watch. That's Tarpon One Hundred and Sixty
1: was known for that.
3: Yeah, that's and that was our favorite boat. Like They're said, not they, known they, for I,
1: that anymore.
3: They've not paddled miles and miles of things.
1: I think um the last Tarpon One Hundred and Sixty I bought was a Two Thousand and Sixteen. And I didn't have it for four months and I got rid of it. I was like, this is horrible. What did they do? What did they do to this boat? Yeah, I hadn't been in one in a long time,
3: but all of them that I, I've gotten in recently, uh, you know, you take those two or three or four strokes and they just, they die. <laughs> they just kind of nose down almost. Uh, there's mm-hmm. just It doesn't have the rocker like, like our boats did when I started out. Uh, you know, even the ride, uh, when we changed it to the 135, that was uh, that was a big fight. <laughs> I was the Wilderness Systems rep at the time, and they were going to do away with the uh, the ride because it was the mold was too old, and they didn't want to redo the mold. They didn't want to put the money into it, but it was going to kill my sales on the Texas coast. Everybody was loving the ride back then. and uh, So I talked to them talked to them, and they said, no, I'm not going to do it.
1: And then all of a sudden I,
3: I got a phone call at the house and they said, fly over here to the factory. We're going to sit down and figure this out. And uh, they had, they had their designer had come up with the uh, the hull and then they walked me in there into the R and D room. And it was a foam. it's a hard foam uh, kayak that it was a blank and they had molded the bottom of it or Carved on the bottom of it, and made the hull, and it was a very efficient hull for the width. And then they handed me a black magic marker and said, "Make it a fishing kayak." And I, just, <laughs> I went to town. Yeah, you know, I, I got to design the whole interior of the kayak and how it was all set up. Uh, they went out. and One of the guys went and bought a bunch of beer, and we sat around there and carved on that thing all night. That's uh, awesome, man! Actually, carved the tarpon or the uh, the ride one thirty five uh got it all all carved out and set up and uh, one thing i'm kind of proud of you know the little uh the notch where you lay your rod so it doesn't slide off the front Mm -hmm. it's a lot of kayaks now yeah yeah that night was when we came up with that that was
1: (laughs) that was napkin napkin drawings and uh at the bar um you know really lead to some amazing feats in technology
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we were just
3: sitting there, and I kept looking at it, and I, he said, do you like it? And I said, we got one problem. Every time that we set a rod down, you know, we're, we're fishing with two rods a lot in tournaments, and the rod that you set down between your legs, the tip slides off because they were all just rounded on the front back then. And uh, I said, how about if we put a little notch in there where where the rod can lay? And he said, okay. He reached up there with a knife, carved it out. He said, that worked." And I brought some rods with me to, you know, so I could mess around up there. And uh, I went and got one out of the truck and laid it in there and sat in that thing. And it's perfect. Yeah. So, and then,
2: ladies and gentlemen, Scott and all literally carved his notch <laughs> in kayak fishing history. There you go. Literally, yeah. you know, <laughs> literally carved his notch.
1: So, I, I can't deals. imagine. I can't imagine that you got into kayak fishing so that you could design one. And the second part of Drew's question was, um, what, what drew you into kayak fishing?
3: I, I wanted to go into some places that they were too shallow for boats and too muddy to wade.
1: I think, you know, Drew, if we kept a, um, a log on, on when we asked this question and how it's answered, um, 100% of the people always say the same thing. I wanted to get to a spot where, you know, we couldn't get to by a boat and it was too far for me just to walk out there. Um, And that that kayaking kind of bridges that gap. I was heavily into
3: wade fishing back then. I mean, I had a a shallow sport, 20 foot shallow sport. In Galveston? Yeah. Can you walk on water? I ran all over the place. So, I mean, most of my trips were Port Mansfield, Rockport port o'connor uh but i ran it in galveston a lot too and yeah we, but i, I when i think it, of
1: <laughs> when i think of wade fishing in galveston i think of sinking in mud all the way up to my waist
3: now there's lots and lots of good areas there's some good hard well, sand bottom in a lot of places I w-
1: i'll wait for some pin drops <laughs> west the west end man the west end, the west, end the west end has uh, a lot
3: the north shoreline east bay south shoreline trinity all around smith point all the way back to hanawack lots and lots of good places got a lot of good fish out of there
2: lots of lots of sand to wait on back there now we have captain scott knoll with us so you guys know with the captain that means that there's some guiding involved here one of the things i wanted to talk about today you don't know that he could
1: be a captain of tugboats No, I Chris, know that. Chris, listen, shut up. I listened
2: to the show. I listened to the show. That was a corny <laughs> one. Uh, you do not get... That's... Bum, bum, ba, bum on that one. Wah, wah,
1: wah.
2: You messed up my segue, Chris. But my bad. I want to get into a little guide talk here. Um, Chris and I have talked about this before, not on the show, but just with each other. One of the, one of the things that we want to talk about is just... What should someone expect when hiring a kayak guide or a skiff guide um, or a, a jetty boat guide? You know, what are some things that people should expect because there's a lot of new quote unquote guides. I'm doing air fingers right here. Um, guides that will take you out on a kayak that may not offer the same thing of some, as some of these more seasoned guys. So what should you get out of your trip? Um, huh? I mean, it,
3: it, a lot of it depends on what stage you're in. You know, you two guys going out with a kayak guide is totally different than what we call used to call them kayak curious. Uh, first timer wanting to go out and try it. And that's what a lot of my guiding was back then in the beginning of this. Uh, I had people that fell in love with it. And I had people who, when we got back to the dock, they said, well, that was interesting. But I don't think I'm going to do it again. Uh, so you you've got all different kinds there. If you've got somebody who's like I was, you know, back when I started, I knew fishing inside and out. I was, you know, fished a lot. Uh, Wade fished all over the place. The kayak was just something to get me into places I hadn't been able to get to. So all I needed was the safety aspect of it and the the technique, you know what do you need? How do you need to rig up? How, what do you need to do? Uh, a guy who does it every day can shorten the learning curve quite a bit on that. Uh, so you got, you got all different people coming into the sport. If it's somebody coming in fresh that really doesn't know anything about fishing, uh, your first order of business is to get them comfortable in the kayak. Second order of business is to try to get them to catch fish. Uh, That's the hardest part about being a guide. You can be the best fisherman on the coast, but you have to get someone who can't fish to catch a fish and see what you see, cast where you would cast. Um, It's easier for me to do that on my polling skiff because I've got them corralled up there in the front. Uh, Guiding two and three or four guys in kayaks is like herding cats. Uh, Everybody's going off in their own direction. I'm watching. I've got redfish coming down the shoreline. I look around all four of them are too far away to come catch these redfish that are coming at me. Uh, that way, that's why even when I was still kayak guiding, if it was somebody new to fishing, that wanted to learn the fishing side of it. They understood the kayaks. They they were into that, but they wanted to learn about the fishing. I'd say, why don't you come on the Poland skip with me? That way I can show you what I'm seeing. And uh, that's the part of guiding that a lot of the young guides miss is the teaching side Uh, if you're not learning something on a guided trip if you're just out there and you kind of at the end of the day you go wow we caught some fish i don't know how i don't know why then you didn't really gain anything out of the fishing trip Uh, if the guide is worth his salt he's telling you uh, why we're casting to that point over there you know did you see that swirl that was a bait fish you see that swirl that was a red got to teach people Uh, not everybody just knows it Yeah, some you always learn you had to learn it somewhere
2: now i think that brings us to one of the biggest things if you're going to hire a guy ask questions you know if, if if you're out there fishing ask why you're in this area ask you know what's the tides doing right now um why are we throwing this bait i mean if you really want to learn from the guide sometimes it's it's hard to understand what somebody else knows so you have to ask those questions
1: because you better hire the right guide, drew
2: yeah well yes if i'm hiring a guide i'm i'm wanting somebody that knows a hell of a lot more about fishing than i do because i'm going to ask them a ton of very specific questions to why we're doing what we're doing but if you're a newer a newer kayak fisherman don't feel intimidated to ask a question because that is what you're that's part of the service that you're paying for you're not you're not paying for three redfish on the stringer. You're paying for a service to learn um, how to perform the same type of things that this guide is performed. Not
1: all the time. I, see, well, this I is, mean, this is if where, you're
2: going on a meat haul on a bay boat, that's a completely yeah, different story. The,
1: the guys got to be careful when when we're talking about you know hiring a guide. Are you looking for an experience where you can learn? are you looking for an experience where you can meat haul? um you know whenever i was younger i used to think it was all about the meat hall man and i was hiring the guy that got the biggest fish box you know that was that was showing pictures in well back then it was a newspaper (laughs) but you know they 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 have their their photos you know on a on an entire you know ad of an entire sheet and and here's all these customers with, with boxes full. I'm hiring that guy. But I never learned a thing from those people, right? It was yeah, you fearless. Would,
3: you hit. Have hired me because I've I never put those pictures up.
1: Right. And that's, and, not, that's not what and I'm about. When I'm talking younger, I'm talking like um, anywhere from my teens to my, my early 20s. Um, this was way back when. Drew was still in. Drew There's is still in diapers.
3: <laughs> There's generally a progression in fishermen that you can see. In the beginning, you just want to catch something. Then you want to catch a bunch of them. Then you want to be the one who catches the most. Then you want to be the one who catches the biggest. The biggest. That's that's the general progression of it. And then once you get, I hate to, say, you know, to my point, <laughs> where I'm at, it's about the experience of catching one fish and catching it the way I want to catch it. When I'm going out on my own, I've got a fly rod most of the time. Uh, I'm going to stalk and wade down a shoreline, find me one redfish that's got his back out and make the perfect cast. Uh, That's what it's about to me now. Same thing with tarpon. Uh, When I go out on my own, uh, just kind of scouting around, getting ready for trips, uh, I've got the fly rod and, I want to hook one tarpon, and there's been times I've hooked the one tarpon. I put the rod down. Uh, I'm just scouting the rest of the day, looking around. But it's a progression, and some people stop at different points. Some never,
1: (laughs) never get past that. that Stringer shot. So what I was, what the second part of what what I was going to say is like there are those guides where they're strictly about the meat haul and they're not going to teach you anything. And I think our listeners are not those people. They want to learn the best about fishing. Some of them want to go on meat hauls, but they want to do it in their kayak and on their own time. And when they're doing their thing, um, and trying to, to hire the guide that's going to teach them, I'm going to tell them right now, you're better off hiring someone like Captain Scott Knoll or um man there's a lot of dean
3: thomas yes slow ride
1: slow ride Um, but those guys who are more intimate with their um the areas that they're fishing and polling skiffs guys that that guide captains that guide out of polling skiffs tend to be more on that that leaning edge of being intimate with their fishery um because they are they're they're up close and personal with the fish and you can't just use any tip and trick just to get up and close and personal with that that fish you're not running from spot to spot to spot and you're not you know pulling fish after fish after fish you get chances and you get tries at fish whenever you're you're working with a a, a on a pulling skiff but you get to learn a lot. You get to learn a hell of a lot more from a from a captain or a guided trip on a polling skiff. Hell, I'm not even a guide. And I think Drew spending 10 hours with me on a polling skiff, he got to learn quite a bit just by being that up, and close, up close and personal. It's different than being in a kayak for sure. Yeah, um,
2: I got to learn that the speed of my retrieve mattered a whole lot whenever uh <laughs> hooking up to those is fish. that because I was cuz I kept
1: yeah, cause saying yeah because you were yelling you were yelling at me the, the whole time like slow down
2: slow down slow down but it was funny that uh captain scott said that about you know wanting to catch a certain type of fish and you just are uh, a fit like catching that one fish and you the were giving you me hell it, yeah you were giving me hell the other day cuz towards the end of the day all I wanted to do was catch no, no, no. one I, redfish on the one rod that I built and the one lure that I tied. <laughs> like, I, that was my, and it was, it was a 20, like he a 19, 20 inch hey, fish. Scott, I was he, screaming. I was he like, couldn't, yeah.
1: he couldn't have got this done at the beginning of the day. No, he had to do it at like hour nine. <laughs> You know, this whole day he could have been fishing with that rod and reel set up, but now he waited until hour nine.
2: (laughs) Now we're we're talking about guides here and and Chris has mentioned about hiring a guide. If you are going to hire a guide, treat it almost like an interview whenever you're calling them. Find out if that guide is going to, you know, be the type of guide or fisherman that you're going to want to learn from. You'll be able to tell uh, right off the bat whether they, they want to take you I on got, a meat haul and, and I got soak one some bait to catch that, drum, coach drum, re, catch reds.
1: I got one question that can satisfy all of that for you. You ask What's them that? lures or live bait. They say live Let's bait. what they say. Live bait only. You're like, oh, man, no, we're just going out there for a meat haul. This ain't the right guy. Yeah.
2: So, so do, do some homework. Don't feel like you cannot ask questions. Ask before you even go out there. Now, Scott, I want to know you know, we've talked about some do's when, when out with the guide. We've talked about ask questions, some things that you should expect from a guide. What are some, some don'ts or some, some, horror story so to say um that you've had people either with you on the kayak or on the boat that you're just like man i cannot wait to get back to shore and drop these guys off
4: it's
3: only happened a few times really uh, most of the people that come out with me have researched they they know me they know me better than if you had met me you know they've read my articles in the magazine texas Saltwater fishing magazine they've listened to the podcast um they come and see me at a seminar somewhere. So they bought most people that come out with me already have a pretty good idea of what I do and how I do it. Uh, I have one regular customer who came out with me while I was still guiding Galveston before I moved to Port O'Connor. And uh, he's, he's into photography. some. and of course, you know, that's something I do a lot of and uh, he'd always bring his camera out. And this day he brought a neighbor and the neighbor they roll up there and we're getting in the polling skiff and getting ready to go. And we're at, uh, at Louie's. And he says, uh, so captain, what kind of bait did you get? I said, I ain't getting bait. We're throwing lures. And, uh, he says, well, I was listening to captain Mickey on the way down and he said, nobody's catching anything. All the guides said, nobody's catching anything unless you're throwing croakers. I want some croakers on the boat. So, well, this is the wrong boat for you, because <laughs> we don't <laughs> go broker's on this boat. I don't even have a live well. Yeah, you know, and that—that that old boat. I no, mean, it's like I don't have a live well, man. Yeah, we can't bring bait. And he says, "Well, this is just going to suck." This is before daylight.
1: You guys so, haven't even really
2: launched it and really got out there yet. We're still on
3: Yeah, we're still standing on the dock when we're talking.
1: Sounds and, uh, like that girl on Willy Wonka. You know, I want it and I want <laughs> it now. Much, yeah.
3: Jesus. And so he sits on the boat, and he crosses his arms, and he's pouting. He's not happy. And we get out there, and we're on the shoreline. There's reds on the shoreline, and we're working along there, and the other guy's casting. And he's kind of flipping it around there, and he's just like, we ain't catching nothing. We ain't catching nothing. So, well, you're not really trying that hard yet. But, you know, what I had in my head, but I was, I'm being polite. I'm one of the nicest guys on the water you'll ever see. And uh, so I kind of let it go well he casts up into the salt grass like really hard and then set the hook sideways into the salt grass not like trying to you know you can know how to lift a lure out of the grass when you overthrow Mm -hmm. he sets the hook and gets it all hung up so I pulled up there and got where we could get it out and uh, I start pulling back out to the I'd like to stay about a cast away you know a easy cast away from the shoreline because they were up in that grass. He hauls off and th- hums one in there again and sets the hook again. It was it was on purpose. There was n- just no doubt about it. So this time we get up there. Well, there's stingrays around, and uh, we get his lure out. The regular customer says, "Man, I'd like to get a picture of one stingray." I said, "Yeah, let me move the boat around, get the sun over your shoulder, so you can get a good shot of it." There was four or five of them up there. So I'm concentrating on how to set the boat up for him to get his picture he's concentrating on that i want not pay attention to this other guy this idiot foul hooks a dinner plate size stingray and then flops it on the deck next to his buddy oh, who's Lord, no. laying on the deck to take a picture on his belly and flops it down next to him on the front deck and the stingray is just going nuts of course because it's foul hooked. i bailed off of that platform jumped down there had got it with my pliers i don't i don't even remember hardly doing it all i know is i had that stingray picked up with the pliers on the barb and i'm holding that barb in front of that guy's face i said you see that we're gonna be going to the hospital if that if that hit your buddy i unhooked it i threw it back in i looked at the other guy i said we're done today we're going back in it was probably 8 30 that's the only time i've ever done that only time i've ever taken somebody back to the dock. and said get off my boat but oh, I, think man. Was, I think it was necessary on that day.
1: Yeah, he was throwing <laughs> enough temper tantrum to last, you know, four two-year-olds' lives.
2: Yeah. You were probably daydreaming bad. about pushing him off into those, uh, <laughs> into those stingrays up. off the side. You are like, I bet you I could hit him with this push pole <laughs> right across the ear. And he oh, did I do that? My those. bad. <laughs> jesus
3: i've had some smart alecks on the front and i told him i said man i got a 21 foot push pole and this is a 17 foot boat you know <laughs> you what i would i would have told him
1: i would have been like you know you listened to mickey this morning on your drive-in but did you check tpwd's uh fishing report because they say <laughs> red drum and and uh, black drum are good on norton sand eels and trout are good on <laughs> shrimp <laughs> Yeah. all the oh, time yeah. all the, the time, time.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: well, every the every
2: every season
3: yeah it was middle of the summer so all the regular guides the ones that Mickey talks to all the time they were all out on the ship channel fishing the humps and they were soaking croakers on the humps
1: because so, that's what happens during that time of the year and, and that's, that's what the they're all hall. doing that's yeah, the, yeah. yeah, the meat
3: mentality and you know, it, it just didn't work out well
1: the only, tried. Other,
3: <laughs> the only other day that I had I had three couples that hired me to guide them on kayaks and that was probably the most miserable day of kayak. On I think kayak I heard
2: you, this story. You before. got you guys can't see Captain oh Scott right gosh. now but he's rubbing his temple before he's even started the story. He's having flashbacks. These three uh, couples gave him PTSD. I can see it in his face right now. Have you not heard this story Drew? I have not. I've not. Okay, so you got to tell tell the tell the story here right, on the
1: podcast. On the, the, the Paddler's area. Playbook.
2: We're fishing
3: over on the uh, on the yeah, on the south shoreline of West Bay. And uh, I can't remember the name of that that little there's a little street that goes back there and dead ends into a gravel um, ramp. Nobody knew about it back then. Of course now I think everybody knows where it is. I can't think it's a odd name street. It's right by uh, Jamaica Beach. Anyway, i got them in there there it's real windy that day i mean it's like march winds like what we've been having here lately and so i've got them in this contained lake with a marsh around the edge of it it's full of fish i checked it out a couple days before red fish everywhere so i preach it to them we're gonna stay in this lake nobody leave this lake it's too windy out there to get out on the open water everybody's good with that the the ladies, you know, I've got them set up with rods. The guys brought their own, and uh, we all kind of spread out. And I'm just – I even brought a sit-inside kayak so that I could go faster. Um, I forgot the name of that thing, but it was one of the wilderness systems touring kayaks. And tsunami, was, tsunami. Maybe. tsunami, yeah. <laughs> I had a, a the tsunami, uh, the 14-foot tsunami. And uh, I brought it so that I could paddle faster to go person to person, knowing what this was going to be like. And sure enough, man, they scattered all over this place. And I'm paddling from one to the next and checking on them. The ladies managed to break two rods, uh, letting fish run under their kayaks. Um, I replaced their rods and got them back going again. And every now and then I'd stop and do a count, do a quick head count. It's not a big lake, but it's pretty spread out. You know, I mean, there's marsh. And it's like one, two, three, four, five, six. Good. One, two, three, four, five, six. Good. One, two, three, four, five.
2: Damn. I lost one.
3: And you can't stand up in a tsunami to look into the marsh. So I paddled over to a point, got up on some shell, stood up, and looking. I'm looking around in the marsh. I don't see him. I look out into the open bay, and he is probably three or 400 yards out into West Bay. And the wind's blowing 25, maybe.
1: That's a rough day.
3: He is out there. And he's in good ways out there. And so, and I had all Tarpon 120s and 140s. So I think I had him in a 140. And uh, so I got my binoculars out and I look, and he's pointed towards me and he's paddling like crazy, but he ain't going anywhere. He's just sitting still. So I gathered everybody up, told them all, you all stay here. Do not move. Just sit right here. I got to go get him. And so I had to paddle out there into the middle of West Bay. Hook onto him with a rope and then paddle towing him back in. Got it all, got it all done, got everything set. They broke, like I said, they broke two rods, screwed up a couple of reels, dunked some reels, had to retrieve the guy to the middle of the bay. And then no tip. Zero oh, tip. Oh
2: man.
3: <laughs> I was like, and I don't expect a tip every day. That's just not me. I'm not one of those guys who's gonna get mad if you know if you don't tip me. That day I deserved a tip.
1: <laughs> you say you saved the man from ending up all the way out on North Shore. I mean, he could have been on, let's see, Jamaica. He would uh, have been a Karonkawa. He'd have gone he, to,
3: <laughs> between Karonkawa and Greens is where he would have ended up.
1: And that's that's five miles right there. But oh, yeah. then you but then you have no way of like reaching civilization whenever you're on that end. No. There's <laughs> no. nothing there. Uh, we just had I to, mean there, I there had
3: is to call somebody and have a boat go pick him up
1: if they could have found him yeah that's that's I, yeah man so yeah if if you're taking a uh i've seen dean out in, in um, lighthouse lakes before and uh i swear he ties these people together man <laughs> <He's> <laughs> like, <laughs> y'all ain't getting away from me i've heard scott tell this story about the
3: guy that, <laughs> yeah. that dude i mean he was beat absolutely wore out beat and when i got to him uh, i told him i said you still got to paddle because i can't paddle both of us back you still got to keep paddling i'd look back he was not paddling he's <laughs> just kicking back
2: <laughs> <laughs> he's just he, he's taking the ride in now you mentioned a tip what is a good tip so you're you, you pay you know let's just say 500 bucks just just for sake of argument you you pay 500 bucks for the trip you had a good trip um you may or may not have kept fish, but if you did keep fish you know the the captain cleans your fish and everything. what would be a good tip in your mind for a trip that costs five hundred dollars?
3: I mean I get all different kinds you know fifty dollar tip is fine uh, most of my guys give me a hundred dollars uh, you know if it's two guys going out if it's one guy going out, you're not gonna get as much of a tip you know but two mm-hmm. guys pitch in together. And a lot of times, one guy pays for the trip, brings his buddy, and tells him, hey, get the tip. Uh, I've been tipped as much as 300 bucks on a, on a day when we caught tarpon. Uh, but, you yeah, know, like I said in the beginning, I don't expect a tip. I set my rates
1: so mm-hmm. that I make right. money, so, that I make mm-hmm. a living. You're not, and you're if, not re- relying on that tip money.
3: And what tips do... Uh, it's kind of a weird thing, you know, Hey, it, it, somebody will call you up and you know, as a guide, you're fishing pretty regular. You know, you've got a lot of days on the water. Now you've got two days that you're going to do some work around the house that you need or work on your boat or whatever you need to get done. Uh, I've got these two days scheduled. I get to get the pasture mode and I'm on the, my ranch. I got, I got things I got to do. A guy who I know has tipped me in the past, 100 bucks 200 bucks calls me up and says hey man i'm in i'm i got a free day i'm, I'm off work tomorrow um, can we go fish yes i'll put off working in the pasture put off my chores put off whatever i needed to do if it's somebody who has been out with me two or three times and they, i've never gotten a tip from them which i've got a lot of customers that are regulars that i've never gotten a tip from i still take them fishing we still work our butt off I still let him catch you know get him to catch fish uh, but if he calls me, I'm gonna say I'm busy that's the difference.
1: <laughs> your time your time is a little more valuable at that point yeah now, that's yeah.
3: that's the difference and and it's not it's nothing personal it's not anything like that it's, it's you do me right and i'm gonna I'm gonna step out a little bit and do do a little extra uh, on scheduling you. i can work you in.
2: Now you, you talked about it was a good tip and a buddy calls you up and wants to take you out, um, to keep you from mowing. Now to keep me from mowing, all you got to call and say is, Hey, let's go grab some tacos and go fishing. Like I'm down. Okay. You, you, you convinced me I'm ready to go. Let's ride. Now
1: also, you well, get on the water the... 200
3: days a year and we'll see where you go. With that.
1: yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. You also got to keep in mind, you know, that guy that, that, um hired you for a trip, you know, that could have been very difficult for him to scratch together, you know, oh, four or five hundred bucks. So a twenty dollar tip, you know, may mean a lot to him. I think, yep. you know, by keeping it in your mindset that tip the tip doesn't matter um so much as, you know the amount, I guess, of the tip shouldn't matter, right. but just oh, no. the it... the gratitude of someone just being able to say, you know, Hey, this is the last 20 bucks that I've got right now. Yeah. And I'd, I'd love to tip you um, that right there alone is probably also enough to make you, you know, skip the day of mowing sure. <laughs> to and go fishing. You,
3: I mean, in my previous life, I was a cop. I read people. I was a homicide detective. I had to sit down with you and talk about a murder and whether you witnessed it or did it. And you read people, you read them pretty quick. I'm on a boat with you for eight hours. I get to know you pretty well in those eight hours. It's back and forth. Uh, You're asking me questions. I'm I'm rethinking
1: hiring you now, man. And and we're just talking, you know, throughout the day.
3: (laughs) So I kind of got a good idea. You're a young guy who's a student. You know, I know that it was hard for you to scratch this money together to go out and fish with me. I don't. If you don't tip me, that is absolutely fine by me. The But then I also get the guys who talk all day long about how much money they have and then don't tip. That It's a weird dynamic. You just read people throughout the day and I know how much that money means to somebody.
2: Yeah. Now, give or take an hour, how long on your boat before you can decide, all right, this guy's going to give me a good tip today.
3: You can never tell.
1: Give or take an hour before you decide this person's a serial killer.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I got that one picked pretty quick. Uh, <laughs>
1: as soon as they get on the boat and
2: talk about uh, throwing croaker, because Captain Mickey said that we needed to use a croaker, that's when you know that they're going to do something stupid and try to kill somebody. <laughs> Now, you talked about being on the water over 200 days a year, and something we haven't talked about a lot on this show yet, but I want to hit on it with you, um, a little bit of fishing etiquette. You know, what are some of your biggest pet peeves, Um, boaters, kayakers, anything? Now, I know that one of your biggest pet peeves is turning your lights off at the boat ramp, so we won't talk about that one. (laughs) because a lot of a lot of kayakers parking uh, lights okay but you gotta i think parking parking lights are are okay
1: turn your brides (laughs) but (laughs) but i want to know
2: more about some of your biggest pet peeves and since we're talking about boat launches and parking lots kayakers if you do not want us to catch a bunch of hail from boaters Do not unload all of your crap in the middle of the boat ramp and take 15 minutes to do so you can unload your truck you can put it somewhere off to the side get your crate together get your lures together get your pliers in there get everything together and then when you're ready to launch move your kayak into the boat ramp and take off you know you should not be spending more than two minutes right there in the boat ramp just like everybody else that goes in there
3: I've watched kayakers at the fishing center in Port O'Connor on a Saturday. I launch early, yeah. You know, I know on a Saturday it's it's going to be a madhouse. So I tell my person, you know, my customers, be beat me there at 630. I'm putting the boat in at 545, 6 o'clock. And I'll just sit there and BS with the guy who runs the bait shop and sit and watch everybody launch boats. It's kind of entertaining. But uh, I've sat there before and watched kayakers pull up there at that ramp. it's a busy ramp park and there may be eight or 10 or 12 boats launch in the amount of time that it takes them to load up their stuff on their kayak and and paddle off they're getting glares from everybody i mean (laughs) there's a lot of times they're sitting there with their headlights on parked on the ramp and they're just chit chatting and doing their thing and slowly putting their stuff together. And I call them the Pee Wee Herman syndrome. They, they've got everything <laughs> on their kayak. And, uh, yeah. Looks like the Sputnik,
2: just yeah, stuff they're, they're, everywhere.
3: Yeah. They've got stuff sticking off every direction. And it takes them forever to put it all together and get off the ramp. That's not the place to do that. If you, you know, if you're going to be one that, that spends that much time getting ready and getting your boat going in the morning launch at a less crowded place uh, than the fishing center on a Saturday
2: yeah or put everything on the kayak and then have you and your buddy walk it over from the parking lot to the ramp and then And then take off because people who block the ramp like that, whenever you have a boater that comes by you that, you know, doesn't really slow down, that throws a big wake and all that, he may just be pissed off at the other kayaker that was just at the (laughs) ramp blocking it for the past 15 minutes trying to get his GoPro set up. So it's not all the time that it's the boater's fault. But guys, we have got to kind of police ourselves. If, if you're with a friend that's doing that, tell them, like, hey, man, we need to hurry up and get out of the way. Like, this, this isn't cool. We're blocking this ramp.
1: You know what I've done in the past is I've, I've unloaded the, the kayak itself somewhere near the launch, then gone and parked my car and carried the things that were more convenient to carry in my arms. Carry over, yes. To, yeah, to the kayak. Because it is, I tell you what, it is a bitch to load up your kayak, and then carry the kayak over to the launch. Um, I've kind of become more accustomed to leaving the. Nobody's going to throw that thing in the back of their truck and take off. Nope. I mean, it's not going to disappear. Leave it there. Go park your car. Take all your crap out, and then drag it over to the boat. Yeah,
3: go fish with
1: Dean sometime. If you ain't quick, he's leaving you. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's got one. He's got one rod and reel and his paddle and his tarpon 160 and then he's in the water that's he's it he's
3: got he's got two or three rods and reels but he's got them all in a milk crate already in. ready he's to in go the milk crate they're in rod holders in the milk crate in the bed that's of what the i love
1: about that black pack man the the rod holders plus the little handles that are on it are perfect for just shoving everything in there and just going yep. and off dean, quick.
3: dean will throw that throw a kayak down on the ground and drag it he cracks me up with that we we got the first new Tarpon One Hundred and Sixty Ts uh, when they we, they redesigned them. Put a uh, the T stood for the, uh, tank, the well. tank well. And mm-hmm. we got the first three, actually the first four that were off the assembly line. Uh, I got one. Reuben Garza got one. Dean got one. And then we got one that was going to be the giveaway at the tournament. We're in Port O'Connor, and me and Reuben, you know, we are very proud of our brand new kayak. They all matched. You know, we were all mango, and uh, we were on the Wilderness Systems fishing team. We we were at uh, Shoalwater, staying in in, uh, Everett Johnson's place, and Dean drags that kayak out of the back end of my truck. It hits the ground. This is the first time he's ever laid hands on this kayak. Grabs it by the bow and drags it across the the gravel and rock and concrete parking lot to the ramp. Says, "May as well break it in right.
2: Yeah. (laughs) You're going li- to leave a pound of flesh on the oysters anyway. Might as well do it in the parking lot and on the oysters, right?
3: Yeah, three or four people just standing right there with their jaws dropping. That's a brand new kayak. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not now.
2: That always drives me crazy, especially when I was selling a boat. It would be, you know, can I have pictures of the bottom? Well, The pictures on the bottom are going to have scratches because I'm yeah. going over oysters. I'm dragging them different part, launches. Yeah. No, 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 no. It, it, it's going to have stuff all over it. But what, what are some of your pet peeves about etiquette on the water? Other once you get past the boat ramp, you know, uh, what are some things that really, really bug you that people do out there?
3: Cutting people off. Yeah. You know, when you see somebody working a shoreline, whether they're wading, pulling or on a kayak, uh, you know, which way they're going, you know, which way they're working, pulling up ahead of them 50 to a hundred yards and you see that they're working in that direction, that's a party foul. I mean, if, if you've got this place in mind that you want to go fish, and I do it all the time. Port O'Connor is crowded. Uh, I've got my, my plan in my head for that day. I take off. I pull in, you know, get to where I can see the first place that I wanted to just stop. If there's already a boat there, there's already waders there, there's already kayaks there, I'm going to Plan B. I'm not just going to squeeze in there. I see a whole lot of people that just go ahead and squeeze in. I mean, they—it's like, well, that's where I wanted to go. I'm sorry you're here, but uh,
1: should have got here a little things. bit earlier.
3: Yeah, and <laughs> so and you—you you see that a lot, um, a lot on the weekends. Uh, that's uh, part since of why you brought weekends much.
1: Since you brought this up, I got to ask you though, now. You know greens really well. Um, okay. On the north side of greens, there's a like a, a portion before it goes into the back side, just the north side of the big lake, there's a small cut. And you've got to run to the left. You can see my pin. It's probably opposite of where I'm going. But you got to run <laughs> to the left and then back to the right. And then that's the cut to get into the back lake. There's always people posted up on like the cut to get into the cut. As soon as you turn left, there's somebody posted up there. As soon as you get into the other cut, there's somebody posted up there and I got to stay up on plane to get through that stuff. Right. And so what's your opinion on those guys? Do you just throw them the bird as you're passing them? Because honestly, that's a horrible place to fish. (laughs) Well, It's
3: like I've, I've had that conversation with a few people and, uh, you're playing, you're playing kickball on the freeway, I mean you're not going to block three thousand acres of marsh by sitting in the mouth of this thing. People are. That's what they're doing, bite. sitting
1: in the mouth. Yeah.
3: Right. If they're sitting in the mouth of a cut that's got marsh behind it, good fishing behind it, they have to expect that people are going to run past them. If I'm fishing that cut myself, because I know you know the tide's fixing to change, flounder are going to be there, whatever. I'd prefer you to run past me on plane. Uh, that's something on the kayak side that I see on uh, like TKF and some of the, Oh yeah. Yeah. They gripe it. Everybody. Oh, well he didn't even slow down. You don't want him to slow down. Uh, <laughs> they throw a much smaller wake running full out in a boat. And I don't, I don't blame them. I mean, a lot of kayakers haven't been on boats. They don't, they don't understand that the worst that you can get, is that guy who slows down right as he gets to you, and he comes completely off throttle. The, the compression wake coming off of that boat as it settles down is going to rock your world. And you would have been a whole lot better off if it had just gone on by. And then also the puttering by real slow. Well, if you run on through, you're gone if you putter by, it may take you, you know, five minutes to get through. We're going to have a
1: conversation it. about what you're having for lunch. Right. <laughs> while I'm mm-hmm. passing by.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I just, soon you get on through go on, you know, and I don't know it, it the Bay's are just getting more and more crowded and we have to be more polite to each other on the water. Uh, I see more arguments and I see a whole lot of, uh, Big bragging on uh, social media. Well, I just throw a top water at them. No, you wouldn't.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a put whole on lot that, of that three ounce egg weight.
3: Yeah. There, there. That's all talk. Yeah, that's all computer talk. Nobody's really doing that. That's why I stay strapped
1: twenty four seven, man.
2: <laughs> no, nobody thinks of that that quick. <laughs> Nobody's like, let me grab my rod that has the three ounce weight on it yeah. to, to, to get it out there. Except who for the hell's fishing off of a kayak with a
1: three ounce weight? <laughs> exactly
2: that's what i'm saying like they can say that they would do that but yeah. th- you know how long it would take you to rig that up it'd take you a while <laughs> by, th- by that time the guys are already They're gone. gone and you're just, They're gone. Yeah you're, just, yeah you're just sitting there pissed off it's funny you talked about cutting people off i you were talking about reading people earlier and i went on a trip to sheldon Reservoir. Um, It was probably about two weeks ago, and I I told Chris I wanted to talk about it during the show. I could tell just by the way that this gentleman was paddling that this was probably one of his first few kayaking experiences. Um, Plus the fact that he had the large bait bucket that he was trolling behind him at Sheldon, um, which is a freshwater lake here. I, and, and I saw him off in the distance, and I am probably half a cast from a shoreline because I'm trying to cast underneath these trees. So I couldn't get too far away because I couldn't sling it sidearm that far. And I see him coming, and I'm like, okay, he, he's going to start veering behind us in just a second. And he's going to start veering behind us in just a second. Nope, he's not veering behind us at all he's about six foot off the bank and he comes right in between me jessica and the bank and then just starts talking to us like hey y'all catching anything Have y'all had any luck out here you know he was heard, lonely drew i know he's like i heard that you know if you were uh, if you're throwing up here you can find some right off the banks that they're starting to be on beds and everything and i'm like dude you are litter i can smell your breath <laughs> and you are in between me and the bank right now, like that. That's ridiculous. I'm all for talking to people in the kayaks because I don't think there's that much disturbance by somebody you know paddling by you, nice and quiet. They're not. But it could have come up on the, the other table. side. Yeah, come up on the other side and ask me. I mean, just don't, don't. I mean, if you're seeing people, take it slow. Be, be stealthy. Don't bang your kayak. Don't take the time to. Now is not the time to dig in the cooler behind you or slam the top of your backpack lid or your black pack lid and drop your whole tackle box full of jig heads down on your kayak. Like, just. Come on by, say hi, ask me, hey, are y'all catching anything? You know, because I'm going to say, no, probably not. Are you guys having any luck? And we're going to have a quick little conversation and then go on about your business. Just don't come between me and the bank ever if that's the way I'm looking or casting. Like that is not something anybody should do from the most novice to the most experienced angler ever.
3: Well, as you're coming up on people, watch how they're fishing. Watch what they're doing. Uh, I do it all the time in the polling skiff. I work shorelines. I'm tight to the shoreline. Port O'Connor is known for people to pull up 20, 30 yards off of the bank, set their anchor, put their power pole down, bail out and wait out, waist deep and throw for trout. They're throwing out away from the bank. I hurt absolutely nothing by pulling between their boat and the bank. I would hurt them more by going out and trying to go around them.
2: And going around them yeah, yeah. but they're so, fishing in the opposite direction their backs are right. to the bank
3: yeah. yeah and i see it all the time guys will turn around and give you the stink eye because you're pulling between them and the bank well you're 75 yards off the bank with your back to me you know you're throwing out there you're trout fishing i know what you're doing you're fishing the drop off and i'm up here pulling for redfish me and you are not bothering each other one bit and uh I was doing it here a little while back, and I was pulling past one of the local guides in Fort O'Connor, uh, female Kim, that she's really, really good. She's all lures, all wading. She's a very good fisherman. And she had a couple guys out, and she kind of turned around, looked over her shoulder as I was coming up. I waved, and she said, hey, y'all seen anything up there? I said, yeah, we're seeing a few reds. You know, we're popping one here and there. We had, had a couple of fly fishermen on there. And uh, I said, How you, how's your trout going? She's oh we're, we're scratching out. You know, we might have a limit here before too long. if We keep scratching. And we had this pleasant conversation. We went on down the, down the way. My guys turned around and said, man, that was nice. I said, yeah, you know her. I said, "No, nah, I've never met her. Yeah. I know who she is, but I've never met her. It's the first time we ever talked. He goes, that was just so nice. Instead of the yelling. And he said, I was already prepared for her to turn around and start cussing us. Yeah. And, and uh, then I talked to Kim later on and I got with her on online. We we're actually friends on Facebook. I've just never, you know, we had never talked. And, uh, I sent her a message, said, Hey man, it's good seeing you out in the water today. Hope y'all did well. She said, I just want to let you know, I really appreciate the way you handled that. And he said, you could have stopped, pulled out off the shoreline and run around me and then screwed up our trout fishing. But what you did was perfect. And I said, well, the way you handled it was perfect too. And she said, yeah, my guys were just talking about how, how nice that was to see two people have a conversation on the water without yelling at each other. So her customers and my customers learned something that day. Uh, people follow. That's another part of being a guide that, that a lot of guys look, overlook. Your customers are following your lead. They're seeing what you do next time they're out fishing by themselves. They're going to do what they did with you.
2: Cause you're so, the professional,
3: right? So if you're cutting people off, and I know guides that do it and there's a couple of Polish gift guides that do it. And, uh, you cut people off like that. Well, that's what the customers learns. Well, that's okay. It's perfectly okay to, to come in on somebody that's already fishing. because uh, my guide that I paid and he's a professional and he did it. Uh, same thing about burning shorelines, running up real shallow, all that stuff. You won't catch me doing it. Uh, I'm not going to teach my customers, uh, bad habits
2: now chris you got anything you're you're awfully quiet over there right now i was
1: listening man (laughs) i was trying not to interrupt (laughs) it's really hard for me to do
2: any anything that really bothers you that that you've because people love it when we rant on this show. Like, they love the information, <laughs> but they also like yeah. when me and you rant or our guests rant about different things well, going on. So you know,
1: th- th- there's just really one rant that they love of yours that keeps them going time after time again, and that's people that show photographs. Photographs of their feet. Yes, yeah.
2: photographs of their feet. Yeah.
1: And I continue to call it a feet fetish, but they're like, the anti-fetish.
2: It's an anti-fetish, yeah. So now it's to the point where people are sending me pictures of of, some, of nasty feet and everything. Oh, and yeah. um, I can't wait till... So, somebody sent me, I think it was on Amazon. It's a link to some socks that are toe socks that look all funky. So I do not want those... For Christmas yeah you get them um, brother <laughs> okay well I'm gonna rant a little bit about that too so first I talked about the feet you know feet in pictures especially when you're selling something so people that are selling something on Facebook or Facebook marketplace and they're holding it in their hand and they're taking a picture looking down get your stinking you see is digits their, out get your toes out of the picture or put some socks on or something the other thing that really bothers me is when somebody's taking a picture of something they're selling and they're holding it in their hand and they have dirty fingernails. Like, if you have <laughs> nasty, dirty fingernails and you're not a mechanic and you're not holding a car part, I do not want to buy whatever you're you know, selling because you can't even take care of your
1: own hands. You know, right after they put that, took that picture and put their phone down, they put that thing down, you know they went, <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. That is so nasty because
2: there's no telling what is under those fingernails. Um, and, like I said, unless you're a mechanic that is, you know, you have a car part in your hand, you're used to working with the grease, I do not want to buy anything that you're selling if you have some nasty, dirty nails or your feet is in the pitcher. I just, hey, can, can, I don't we, talk, can we
1: talk about fishing again, real quick? <laughs> yeah, let's let, let's get into fishing because we've been so,
2: on here about an hour and 15 minutes. I so, want to talk about some sight casting, but well, what do you want to well, talk hold about, on. Chris?
1: So, man, this is this is killing me, okay? For the past six weeks, all I've done is work on my house. And today I finally finished, like, I think it's the last thing that I have to finish in order to sell this thing. And I might be able to get on the water soon. But the question that most people have had recently and I'm I'm seeing it pop up and it was just on our live broadcast the other day um you know spring patterns everybody wants to talk about spring patterns whenever like as soon as spring break hits like that March 12th time frame everybody goes is it spring pattern time yet you know is it is it it's spring It's barely time?
2: the spring equinox right now well like it's and, not even really spring
1: spring and remember, do you remember my response to that, that question? I asked, well, you were what's saying the temperature we're a few of weeks, the water?
2: Yeah, we're a few weeks behind. And then you sent me the temperature of the water and how far behind are we on the water?
1: About 10 degrees.
2: 10 degrees so, right now.
1: So I wanted to ask Scott what, what he considers a spring pattern, um, I think that's just become a cliche that people use, um, but and I guess not because even uh, Matt Murphy said, well, he looks for jacks to start appearing in, in in certain areas. Once the jacks start to appear in Rockport at some where wherever they are at that time of the year, that's when he starts to notice other patterns that indicates spring is here. So what is it that you look for, Scott? And um, what do you th- consider a spring pattern?
3: I don't work off stuff like that much. Uh, I'm. I have the advantage of being on the water day after day after day after day. So there's not like a, okay, flip the switch, we're on spring. I see it occur gradually. Gradually. Uh, you know, more bait fish start showing up. You know, you start seeing the little shrimp start to grow up a little bit. Um, uh, the Jacks, I mean, they're here now. Um, they've been here for, I don't know, two, two weeks or so, uh, in Port O'Connor. Uh, 70 degree water temperature on the beachfront. That's generally was always the accepted thing. Uh, as I was growing up, that's when you can start fishing the surf, catching some trout out in the surf. Uh, Springtime to me is—it's all about the damn wind, uh, having to <laughs> deal with that every day, uh, between kayaks and poling skiffs and trying to fish the jetties on my big boat. Uh, the wind just—it it blows so much this time of year. Uh, so people always ask me, "Hey, you know, when's the best time to go fish? When you know, when spring comes, when's the best time for me to book with you? Let's wait till May." Is what I tell them. If you want to book out a, a distance out, book me in May. If you're flexible and you can go when it gets right, uh, some people have that opportunity with their jobs. Some don't.
1: We might have if this window appear.
3: Yeah, if this window pops up and you got calm for two days and you're you're available, call me. We'll, Which we'll is usually
2: never in the spring. That calm period in the spring is usually like two AM to seven AM <laughs> yeah. on a Thursday. You wanna know why? <laughs> you wanna know so why, Drew? Tell me when it's why, calm. man.
1: Tell me why. Thermal convection. Thermal convection, baby. <laughs> I told you it was gonna come up. <laughs> and I'm so, the one that brought it up. I'm the one that brought it up. Did time. you? Okay, well, uh so it's great. Scott kind of gave the, some of the same answers we were talking about. Now, whether or not they were for different reasons, I'm going to throw this one out there. So, one of the reasons why I start to look for that 70 degree mark is because flora and fauna, um, our grasses start to really pop, um, and and with the the algae that starts to bloom and the and the grasses that start to grow, come you know. Um, little bitty tiny crustaceans like shrimp and crabs and you know uh things start to bloom and and uh uh our our bait fish start to move into those bays and estuaries and and along with the bait fish come the predators um into those areas but also like he said the wind um that's when you know spring is here is whenever you try to get out there for an easy day of fishing and you're trying to hug that south shoreline as tight as you can because if you stray you know 15 to 20 feet away you're going to get somebody else get you in the tsunami
2: (laughs) (laughs) exactly somebody has to make their way out of the tsunami to pick you up
1: um yeah they asked they asked me the other day where would i be on a you know where would i fish on a uh, spring day you know i'm like Psh, find me on the south shoreline somewhere um, yeah you, it,
3: you gotta fish protected water if you're fishing kayak and you're pulling skiff uh whatever now when i fished the redfish cup we fished all that and fished professionally on the tournament tour we went to the windy shoreline in, you're in a in, big boat though yeah in big boats running trolling the motors and all that um uh, but if you can, if you can stand it, if you've got a one of these new kayaks with an electric motor on it or whatever, and, you, and it's stable enough, uh, like so, <laughs> the blue sky, you can't you can't go wrong with that. As far as flipping it, um, you could work some of those coves, and that's something that a lot of people don't think about. Those dirty water coves where all the water's blowing in, uh, it's pushing bait up there. And that's where we caught a ton of our keeper fish. Our our upper slots. Your upper slots. And the heavy fish were up now, on the shorelines.
2: Where where are those where are those fish hanging out as far as the predator fish when you have that wind coming, you know, straight into that cove. It's blowing on that shoreline. Are those fish waiting, like in the grass on the shoreline, to come out and attack? Are they usually patrolling back and forth, left to right? Like, how, how are you attacking that shoreline? It's fan cast. Uh,
3: they're, I think. I mean, it's hard to say because the water's always so dirty you can't tell. But I yeah. think those fish just patrol back and forth. Uh The bait fish is getting blown in there, so they're they're just hanging out generally as far back into that cove as you can get. And I have a theory that the they're back end of it.
1: They're just like you said, Drew. Like they they've tucked themselves. Redfish can tuck themselves into that tall grass if there's tall grass there, and the water's beating up against that tall grass. Um, because I've had so much success running a popping cork parallel to those tall grassy shorelines where the water's beating it um you know because that's maybe the only my last recourse that's the only thing i have left to do i've already fished every protected shoreline here because i can't stand fishing the windblown shoreline um it's it's not it's (laughs) It's not not fun fun. in a kayak you get pushed up against it then you've got to work your way back out then you get pushed up against it then you gotta work your way back out and i i have an anchor trolley on every single kayak that i own i if I ever bring anything with me, it's a stakeout stick, and it's not enough to hold me in wind. Um, you really need an anchor, and in conditions like that, I don't suggest anchoring down. I really don't. Um, well, that's a good way to get flipped. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. But like like Captain Scott was saying, when they were fishing those tournaments, that's where they were heading. So, I mean, you you may not love fishing yeah, that but it it'll produce some large ben some, some has bigger, a lot bigger has
1: a he has a lot of su- success working shorelines like that yeah i mean it's
3: it's a known thing i mean it's yeah it's not a big secret or anything you go up there and throw a popping cork with a gulp because the water's dirty uh, you you try to throw your paddle tails or whatever in there you're really not going to do much you might catch one every now and then hit one on the head but the popping cork with a gulp underneath it, that was our money. Yeah, that that got us into the the top part of many tournaments.
2: Windblown shoreline and popping and cork and gulp. There you go. That that'll be you, you wanna you wanna become a tournament fisherman? Just do that a lot.
1: A lot, I a lot, it, a doing lot. i oh, be straight hey. up
3: on with you. i'm a sight casting guy i hated
1: doing that but hey to talk, talk to the wind gods okay and, and drew or scott if you're good with them you know you know these guys you know the wind gods out there the guys that that set our patterns for our winds and let them know that may 1st has to be a really chill day <laughs> because we're planning on trying to bring bring in the money on fly for may 1st <laughs> oh, you're
2: gonna throw the fly for the for gonna, the cat saltwater
1: tournament, huh? We're gonna try and do it on the fly. So <laughs> now gotta, I'm with t-
2: I'm with two known sightcast fishermen. Like you guys like sightcast, and I know Chris loves it. I will paddle got twenty miles.
1: Script. I will paddle twenty miles in a kayak versus sitting against a windblown shoreline just so I can sightcast one fish over pulling one in off of a popping quirk. Yes.
2: Both of you love sight casting. Now we could do a whole episode about sight casting and spend probably two hours talking about it, but we don't have that much time, but I would feel remiss if I didn't ask Scott, what are some tips for to to have a more successful sight casting trip? Um, I know right now we're dealing with wind and, and you know, but say say you are you you do find a calm day that you can get out in your kayak or you can get out in some skiff. What are maybe you know some of the two or three best tips that you can give somebody to to have a more productive day? And Chris, you know, feel free to jump in with with, with anything that you have as well.
3: Accuracy beats distance. Uh, whether you're throwing fly or conventional or whatever, I want you to be able to put that fly or. The little three-inch paddle tail, DOA paddle tail is what I throw mostly. And uh, one-eighth ounce, one-sixteenth ounce, I want you to be able to put it in a pipe plate. You know, it, it, any distance, you know, whatever distance you feel comfortable with, then let me know where you feel comfortable being, being accurate. Because those fish up shallow, they'll teach you a lot. Like what you talked about earlier, being on the bow and having to slow down you get to watch the reaction of the fish and see how it, how it attacks a bait. You learn so much from being on the poling skiff, watching those things. Uh, You get to see, you get to see them turn off of baits and that teaches you a lot as well. Uh, Success teaches you, but failure teaches you quite a bit. Uh, So accuracy would be number one. Uh, Knowing how to feed a fish that's slowing down, uh, reading the fish as it's coming towards the bait, whether it's aggressive and you can speed it up a little bit and really turn him on, or whether you're going to have to talk him into eating. Uh, that's usually falls into the fly fishing world. Uh, how fast you strip, you know, the little tick, 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 or do you are you ripping it six or eight inches at a time? Uh, those are the two main things. Uh, good sunglasses, you know, good. Um, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, all Costa. always have been, been wearing Costas know, 35 years now, something like that. The copper lens, uh, the green mirror copper lens is my go to for in the bays. It helps pick out fish on the bottom. Uh, not everybody can see fish. You learn that over time, <laughs> guiding with people on the front end of the boat, too. You can get the best sunglasses in the world. You You have to learn to look through the water instead of looking at the surface. Uh, once I get people to do that, then they start seeing the fish. Then they start, oh, wow, there really are fish here. Uh, but it's a learned skill to look through the water, try to look at the bottom instead of looking at the surface. And I can usually tell when somebody's doing it because, you know, fish cutting across. I'm, I'm pointing out the fish. That's my job. I point the fish out. He's 30, 40 feet out. He's at 11 o'clock moving left or right. You see him? Nope. Point your rod. Point the rod where they think it should be. Go, okay. Right, 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 right there. I don't see anything. Look into the water. Oh, there it is. <laughs>
2: then then they get a. Every
3: it. day all the time
2: here's something that i struggle with where where do i want the sun to get the best look on the water to have the least amount of glare i mean i eventually figure it out but it would be great to, to to know okay i need the sun here so maybe i need to go to this shoreline first and then as the day moves on i need to move to this shoreline where do you want the sun to maximize your ability to sight cast
3: over your shoulder you want it coming from behind you uh, it does two things it blinds the fish the fish is you know you're fishing six eight inches ten inches of water foot of water those fish can see you you know and, and danger comes from above for a fish uh, that's why i don't like people to wear a white shirt on the front end of my boat there's a lot of white birds out there and i think that instinctually the, the fish veer off of that but uh, you want that sun over your shoulder you can see into the water better it cuts all the, you know, cuts more of the glare but then the fish is looking back he's looking
1: into the sun uh, who goes, wears white shirts back. going fishing uh it happens a lot <laughs> i've wore a white shirt once and then it's
2: bloody it's yeah. brown it's, yeah. it's got, i just it's i just usually start with brown. stuff all over yeah that, that's where i'm at now now do you think that the 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 sky camouflage blue fish camouflage shirts and all that mean mean a damn thing
3: i'm not into that if you're
2: close enough for that fish to
3: see you I don't think camo is going to help
1: you. Uh, Do you remember me telling you that
3: 17 foot boat or a 12 foot, 14 foot kayak? I
1: think it was, I think it was (laughs) you, Scott, that, that once said, you want to tell, you want to see if lure, if top water color matters, go throw a handful of them in a, in a, uh, pool, swim down to the bottom and look up. Yep and tell me if you yeah, can try, see a damn thing different color yeah you can't tell so but we of course we don't have a fish eye so uh we don't know really exactly what the the fish sees but we can tell we what know that the they get, yeah they get spooked off by 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 us being there the presence of us being there and I think contrast matters contrast definitely matters um yeah. I I like your question about the shadow drew because I always, when I'm, when I'm in the kayak, I make sure I'm not casting a shadow, um, into Mm -hmm. the area that I want to fish. As soon as a
3: redfish, if if a redfish passes through your shadow, I don't care if it's my push pole, it, the smallest shadow freaks them out.
1: It does. Yeah. So I definitely don't want to cast a shadow, but I always want to keep the sun at my back. Um, that's usually where the wind is too.
4: Yeah.
1: And early morning,
3: it's not going to matter, Yeah. uh, you can't see into the water until that sun gets up you know say it's getting daylight at 6:30 6 6:30 whatever about 2 to 3 hours after sunrise is that's going to be your best time until about 2 or 3 hours before sunset the times that the sun is up that high on the horizon and overhead you can see into the water a whole lot better the early morning you're looking for tails you're looking for swirls uh, you're looking for signs of fish uh, you really can't see into the water to, to actually sightcast.
2: Well, Chris, see that's why I don't launch now till eight thirty, nine o'clock. I, I'm missing a, out on the I'm a sightcaster sight at heart. That that must be what it is. I'm a sightcaster <laughs> at heart. That's the fishing gods telling me you need to sightcast more.
1: you you're just missing out on the beauty of the world. Waking up though, that's that's what it is. Now, I like what My Scott, pillow is beautiful. My pillow is beautiful. What Scott has to say about accuracy versus distance, 100% on point. And <clears throat> distance really, really matters when you're throwing um, or being able to chuck a lure far matters when you're throwing a spin caster, I think, because a spinning rod and reel, you don't have to worry about the backlash or anything like that. And you can really throw it into the wind. So always carry one with me just because I need to throw into the wind. But those guys out there that are not yet using bait casters, that are thinking about using bait casters, if you're also thinking about sight casting, stop wasting your time. Go buy a bait caster. Learn how to use it. Not only will you learn how to become a more accurate caster, but you'll be able to get that cast off a lot faster whenever you see a fish because now you don't have to flip the bail open. You don't have to use two hands. Your thumb is on the ready. Boom, trigger, flip, you're gone. You're into the fish's face. Um, and and plus, you can use a bait caster, a spin caster. You can't just flick your wrist underneath like this and get that, that lure to fly <laughs> off of there. Um, you can't you know, throw it, you know, in, in weird, strange angles. It's
2: hard. It's hard to pitch and flip with a, uh, with a spin, the with a room. spin. It yeah. is.
1: And, and you know what? Saltwater fishermen do uh pitch and flip. Okay. Especially side casting. Especially side. I use all different. I use weird, weird weird-ass angles. A real good buddy of mine, Jason Calhoun, the first time he had me on his boat, he was like, dude, are you trying to do something real strange and weird that's just trying to impress me? Because it is impressing me. I don't know what the hell you're doing, (laughs) but it's almost scary. And I'm like, nah, bro, this is just me trying to make sure I don't get this hook in you because you know what? You're standing kind of close to me right now. Um but with the bait caster you can do those things and you'll become a more accurate caster
2: chris what what size rods do you like to use uh whenever you're pitching and flipping and 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 kayak or
1: kayak or wading or what
2: either either one either one conventional you know bait caster that you're flipping out there
1: well most of my rods are missing their tips because of fish that run underneath the kayak, Alex <laughs> Scott was talking no, about. No, <laughs> it's not it's not
2: the fish's fault, it's your fault I, for I not using stick. your drag correctly. Yeah, and I high stick, sticking high stick, and, stick and stick using
1: fifty pound braid. Don't blame the rod. No, it's not the rod at all, dude. it, it is my fault. I I high stick <laughs> a lot. Um, but most of most of the time I'm using a seven foot rod. Seven um, foot? Seven foot, yeah.
2: I found that I am far more accurate with the baitcaster. If I have like a six foot six or six foot nine and it's a little bit stiffer. So it's a medium. So I have a medium six, six and a medium six, nine. Are you, are you that, able to
1: throw really accurately with a one sixteenth ounce jig or a one eighth ounce even with an eighth ounce? Yeah.
2: In, in, in eighth ounce, I can, I can put it where I want it. Um, I've been practicing a a whole lot with with that too especially because I want to do more bass fishing so well, practicing perfect some, so flipping some smaller finesse baits and things like that um, I'm far more accurate with a six 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 nine I think that a lot of guys are getting I don't want to say they're, they're more influenced now because if you ask a bass fisherman, what he's using for pitching and flipping he's like i got a seven six heavy a seven three heavy because they're throwing into big mounds of hydrilla and lily pads and and they're really winching those those fish out of there but for the type of fishing we're talking about with redfish you really don't need uh, anything that heavy whenever you're pitching and flipping scott whenever you're using conventional gear which probably isn't very often because because you know, it seems like you're in love with the fly, but when you were, what what type of rod setup did you have um, when you're out there pitching, flipping towards uh, redfish? Short. I don't. I don't feel
3: like a, the long rod for me is for distance. Shorter rods for accuracy. Six three, six six. I think most of my rods now are six six. Uh, I'm using those I would say most of mine are 6'6 six,
1: six now, too, but they all started at seven <laughs> foot. Started at seven. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: yeah, I even had, uh, when I was working with American Rodsmiths, so I was their sales rep for a while. And I had one of the kids at the shop build me a, a really short rod that I could throw up underneath trees because I used to fish up uh, some of the bayous and uh, like Austin Bayou, places like that. And you got mm-hmm. the oak trees hanging over. And I could, I could throw it, I could stand on the bow of the boat as I'm going along there and I could throw it with a rod tip right on the surface of the water and shoot it up underneath those trees. I uh, actually caught a tarpon in Austin Bayou doing that, throwing a white spinner bait. I uh, was catching a lot of redfish on spinnerbaits back then and Austin Bayou's got a lot of bass in it too. And so I was catching bass and redfish back and forth and then caught a, about a three foot tarpon
1: I, I, had know, speaking I had of,
3: no idea about
1: it. Speaking of um, rods, man, ARS, boy, that broke my heart, man, whenever they uh, <laughs> they got bought out by Castaway. I got to yeah. say that. My I, Just recently, well, I, I'd say about a, two years ago, that is recent for me, um, I gave my daughter my last remaining American Rod Smith rod. And I said, here, take care of this. This is now yours. I mainly gave it to her because I didn't like the reel that was on it. It was a 13 fishing. <laughs> but um, And she came home one day after she went on a wade fishing trip with uh, one, of, one of the guys that she likes to fish with. And she comes home and she goes, you're not going to believe this, Dad. Lewis put my rod in the back of his truck. And he put it back there with the cooler. Well, guess what happened? The cooler slid around and snapped my rod. And I was like, which rod? This one. It's like, shit. I can't get that rod no more. I can't get that rod back. But she ain't touching none of my all-stars, man.
2: You got some old all-stars. Well, just wear it on the street. If you love the old American Rod Smith, and you like the old castaways? Um, there's a certain rod company out there that may be in contact with some of the fellas that used to work for those, and um, putting to, putting together some some rods right now that are that are going to be hitting the market. Chris, I, I think you've heard of uh, Turner Rod Co. Just 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 a little know, bit. Just just a little bit. There there's there's some there's some. Some things happening with, with, with some some people who uh, who used to be a part of both of those companies. So, um, I'm putting some some time and effort into getting these rods correct and, and getting the those the things those that guys I need.
1: That, at American Rodsmith. I used to talk to them so often that they're the ones that finally convinced me that I needed to start fishing with a popping cork. And it took about seven conversations before I finally said, <laughs> "Fine, sell me the rod." I'll go buy some popping corks and I'll start fishing with popping corks. Yeah, so popping corks tribute.
3: for me that was only about tournaments. That's the only time I would fish them.
2: <laughs> tournaments are when you're desperate to to really You really got get you on got to visit. use it,
1: man. Yeah, you got to use it.
2: The tug is the drug and you got to get that tug before you leave. You you've you've got to get something that's going to peel a little drag. But we're running up on an hour and 45 minutes here. Um, I think it's about time to wrap this thing up, Scott. If somebody wants to book a trip with you, where can they find you? Um, where are you out of? What type of trips do you offer? Uh,
3: fish portal, Cotter. and I've got poland skiff for sight casting trips for redfish, and then I've got a 23 foot dargle cat center console. Uh, run jetty trips on that jetties and uh, near shore beachfront chasing tarpon, jacks, bull reds, whatever you, whatever's big, go out there and play with play with the big fishes uh, and get a hold of me. I've got my website, com. Everything I do, uh, that's something I started way back. An old man told me, he said, go off your name. Don't come up with some cute. I had a cute name that I was going to call my guide service. He said, just use your name. Uh, people will remember who you are then and it's worked out for me over the years Uh, so you can get a hold of me on Facebook I've got a Captain Scott Knoll on Facebook I've got my regular Scott Knoll Facebook it kind of gets mingled back and forth Uh, I get messages on that I get messages on Instagram I get messages through emails Uh, I prefer it by email because it's easier for me to check uh, that's it's just, easier to keep uh, up with. Yes, yeah, um, Captain Scott Noll at Gmail, and uh, I think it, uh, God, get me lying here. I don't remember if we spelled it out or if it's. He's Gmail. like, there right.
1: might be a dot in there. There might be an underscore <laughs> yeah, I
3: don't remember. <laughs> yeah, here, look at, uh, It's just C, c-a-p-t Scott Noll at Gmail. It's all no no spaces, no periods, no nothing. Uh, those when, are the easiest to get a hold of me
2: this is a very selfish question when is the best time to book a tarpon trip with you best time uh, of
3: year they will start showing up at the end of may uh best day i ever had on tarpon was the end of may uh out by myself i jumped nine fish and got three to the boat uh on fly and uh I was scouting for a trip for some guys and then they showed up and the tarpon were gone. That's the problem with those early fish. They come through in waves and you're either a hero or a zero by mid June, late June, they start settling in and they're a lot more consistent July and August are really good. Uh, good, consistent fish. Uh, September is probably the the number one, uh, probably the absolute best is September. Uh, they'll stick around until Middle October, depending on what the weather's doing.
2: Now, now if, Drew, if someone Drew, wanted to uh, get oh, go ahead
3: hard cold fronts, they leave. Yeah, Drew, a couple hard I, cold fronts, are out of here.
1: I understand that if you go ahead and book three consecutive days with Captain Scott Noel, your chances are better. Yeah, it,
3: it does get better. I mean, it's time <laughs> on the water, man. I mean, people ask me all the time, and You see so many cool things out there, know yo, that you talk about. It's just hours and hours and hours of being on the water looking at nothing. Uh, Then you get to see the cool stuff.
2: Now, how far in advance do they need to book a September tarpon trip? Are we talking about you need to book it now? Or are you not even available for September right now?
3: No, it varies. I mean, there's openings, scattered openings. If you can go during the week, uh, chances are a lot better that you can get in uh weekends get booked up you know months in advance sometimes but uh weekdays you know monday tuesday wednesday those are my favorite days to get out there Uh, weekend crowds left the fish settle down and they go back to doing fish things instead of
2: running from boats (laughs) chris man you got any more questions before we get out of here uh we probably have a, a, a hundred different questions, Yeah, but that would be a whole other podcast.
1: <laughs> well, I'm thinking of all these ones that I want to ask him personally, and I can't ask him on the show, you know.
2: That's the good right. stuff. Well, yeah. We need to start a Patreon for, I, for I, I, people, I need a d- people who want to listen to the after talk, after Scott, we get I, in broadcast.
1: I need you for a day out here on Greens and Caracqua. So just shoot, shoot me your number, sir. And I mean, and monetary back. number. I mean, I mean, how much it's going to cost me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> my biggest problem is just getting up there and uh, spending a day getting, getting away from the the dogs and the animals and all that stuff. Oh, so I guess I'm going to have
1: to rent you a place to stay now too. All right. I'm not, Twisted
3: my arm. My mom and dad live in Alvin, so. Yeah, oh, nice! Right my daughters in Sienna Plantation, and other daughters in South Houston. So I'm
1: I'm trying to move to to the country myself, get me a little bit of land, and it is proven to be a task, a real serious task and pain in the ass. I bought find. mine
3: 15 years
1: ago. And it took us 10 years to
3: get started building.
1: Well, well you wouldn't believe the price of off. land right now. Uh, um, I couldn't do
3: it now. Some of I these,
1: did. some of these areas that we're looking at one acre, $175,000. What
3: come down there by what? me. It's you can, you can get
1: 55.
3: There's a 55 acre spot right near me. That's uh guy's asking a little too much for, I think, but he's asking 7,000 an acre. And that, <laughs> I think it's just, yeah, I think it's more of a $5,000 acre spot, but, uh, Hello. When I bought mine, I think it was eighteen fifty an acre. And oh my
1: gosh, man!
3: Last the last eighty acres spot that sold near me, you know, the guy bought it when I bought mine, and then he sold his. I think he got thirty nine fifty for the eighty acres.
2: Oh, wow. So, Scott, you may want to take Chris up on his offer. I know you're used to polling around. Uh, Chris will pull you around for ten hours. Uh, no break, as long as long, you, you may have to give him your shoes. Um, not that I, this is a true story or anything, but he will pull you around for ten hours straight. I didn't, he, I didn't really bring
1: really, any shoes, man. We went we went fishing, and I didn't bring any shoes. All I had was flip flops. And my feet got sunburned, and I was like, Look, man, the only thing that's holding me back right now is the fact that my feet are on fire. He goes, Here, have my shoes. Keep pulling.
2: Let's go. I got to catch this fish with this lure that I made and this rod that I built. We've got to get it done. We've got to get it done. But, Scott, man, thanks so much for joining us here in Debate Butler Studio. Um, Again, we want to thank Austin Canoe and Kayak pure fishing so abu garcia pin berkeley ugly stick real sportswear thank you guys so much for being part of the show bro staff i hope you enjoyed this one um it's awesome to talk to some people who have been there from the beginning of you know kind of the kayak fishing world it was awesome to hear how scott literally notched himself in kayak fishing history so that was pretty awesome now every time i see a little notch on a kayak i'm gonna i'm gonna thank you you're scott. gonna go look, look at that, that knoll. knoll yeah look at that knoll right there that's called a knoll that's not a notch that's a knoll <laughs> but scott again and thank you for coming on and and we really appreciate it man
3: sure enjoyed it
1: thanks a lot scott we'll see you on the water